My name is Victoria. I come from Ghanaian parents and grew up in the suburbs of Chicago. I'm a painter turned entrepreneur on a mission to empower Black women to step into their genius and make an impact. I have a vision for creative women to feel confident and powerful and let go of all the limiting beliefs holding us back from going all out and showing up. I'm also the founder of the Kindred Creatives Collective, where I host dinners and retreats to hold space for Black women to prioritize self-care, build a tribe, and feel inspired. I want a world where Black women artists are celebrated, valued, and paid more. My goal for this podcast is to help women of color build sustainable and purpose-driven practices. Every week, I'll chat with a boss who's making bold moves in her industry as a creative entrepreneur. After hanging out with us, you'll feel empowered to build your own creative empire. Now let's start the show. Meet Kenyatta Forbes, a multi-talented artist who uses her humor and her experience as an educator to have challenging conversations about race and identity. She is a passionate creative who does it all from macrame, film, performance, game design, and community projects. Join us as we discuss her life as a creative and how she successfully funded and launched her brainchild, Trading Races. Pretty good for coming on this morning. Absolutely. I am so excited. You don't understand. I've been looking forward to this because every time I talk to you, I just feel like I learned something. <laughs> so I was like, let me talk to Kenyatta. Um, okay. So to get started, I would just love to kind of learn more about you. But before we get there, I just want to say a quick story about how we met. Mm-hmm. So we met at Malwin, where I work, and you were teaching there, and you were doing macrame. Yep. And I remember everyone on staff was, like, falling in love with you, so excited, <laughs> like, oh, my God, have you gone to her class? Did you, did you see what she's doing with the young people? She's amazing. So I was like, let me go check her out, because there's all this hype, right? <laughs> <laughs> so I went to your class, and I was like, okay. I get it. She's dope. Yes. <laughs> I have to I have to talk to her more. So that's that was how I that's my memory of how we met. You probably have a different one, but <laughs> not that. I mean I don't I didn't know about all the other uh the chatter, if you will. But um <laughs> that, that we definitely met at Marwin. Um I definitely had a fantastic time with the uh, with students there for sure. Yeah. And the staff as well too. Yes, we were so happy you came. So, back into you, where? What's your story? Because I know that you have you you wear a lot of different hats. You are passionate about many different things, and I'm just curious about where journey started. Can you talk more about that? Yeah, I mean, I'm a native uh, Chicagoan, so I was born. uh, born here, grew up in the burbs until I was about uh, 11 and moved back to the city. Graduated from Curie, which at that time was a performing arts school. 
and then went to New York for my undergrad at St. John's, came back to Chicago for my graduate degree. Both of my graduate degrees have two uh, master's degrees and um, have kind of just been kicking around Chicago since. Dabble in a bunch of different things. I, I watched a, a TED Talk a couple years back that really resonated um, in terms of like how I work or how I operate on a daily. Mm-hmm. And the, the TED Talk was about how like the older generation was all about you did one thing and you did one thing well. I feel like I'm one of those people because I, there are many things that I'm deeply interested in or passionate about that I dedicate time towards. Mm. So got like yes. a card game, so I guess I'm a game card game designer, do some community um, activation or um, work as well. So I consider community to be a form of activism um, in terms of bringing people together together around a common goal or uh, something that they love or are passionate about and then um, do do macrame so do fiber arts as well and then I work in the ed tech space as well okay and I used to, I used to be a teacher too as yes well. <laughs> so many things so many great things so did you have artists in your life growing up did you kind of have someone who showed you that this path was possible or is just something you naturally gravitated towards no and i don't think i even no um that was not something and i I still think people struggle to see art as a viable like career it's not easy i think for for me i didn't look at uh look at it from from an artist kind of stand uh like viewpoint it was more about like being committed to projects that were were interesting to me and I, I guess i'm just like a firm believer of like if you do the thing that you you know really love to do everything else will fall into place which is you know in many ways kind of naive but but helps you kind of stay stay focused so i think you can get caught up in like trying to get rich quick mm-hmm. <laughs> in many ways to take you off of um, the foundation of why you're doing a thing I agree. I'm a firm believer that when you follow your passions and what's authentic to you and what you're really just naturally good at, everything else will follow. And when you try and, you know, fit into a box or do a quick rich scheme or whatever you want to call it in order to be successful, oftentimes that never works. So I'm always for women specifically black women tapping into their power and finding out exactly what they are destined to do and you know if you don't know figure it out find it but it's so important i believe to like really having an authentic life and i don't i think you're right i don't think you need to necessarily do just one thing it could be many things and you could figure out a way to kind of balance them all yeah Speaking yeah. of that, how do you balance it all? You teach, you do macrame, you have this amazing card game, which I want to get into. But how do you balance all of your passions? It's tricky, but um, I, I lean towards the things that um, intrigue me the most. And I guess I kind of just I just build like a hierarchy mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, based off of that. So there's always stuff that needs to be done, but I technically don't want to do it um (laughs) yeah but you know and then also like none of the I guess I keep a mind frame that none of the projects that I'm doing 
I'm not, it's not brain surgery, right? Like nobody will die if I say no to a, uh, um, an appearance or like a talk or if I don't respond to an email within 24 hours. Like, so these things are okay. And so I, I really strive to like, because I technically have like maybe four or five jobs, if you think about it, in terms of like some of the consulting work I do as well. So like having a really good work-life balance is super important. I can't show up fully for a thing if I haven't put my wellness first to be able to show up fully. So I think just like saying the notion that like it's 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 fine. Like, it's okay. And if that person or that organization or that company doesn't understand why you're saying no or why you're not maybe getting back to them as fast as they would want you to, then it may not be the company that I need to be working with. So I think if you just come at it with like a mind frame of like, what do I need to do to show up fully present and then work from there? Everything else, everything else will kind of be okay. I mean, of course, there's some sometimes where I'm like, ah, I dropped the ball on that. And that's okay. You know, right. I'm only one. And I think when people actually, when they know me and know what I do, there's a little bit, a bit more, not, not necessarily empathy, but there's an understanding that, like, she'll get to me. Like, mm-hmm. and when I get to you, I'm going to make it happen, you know? Absolutely. Um, and I, know, think so I think just having this mindfulness and really putting yourself, putting your care first and making sure that you're checking in and making sure that you're good is so important. Yeah. And I know that some of your work might do that for you, but also finding other ways to just check in and take care of yourself. Can you talk more about self-care and how you make sure you're kind of taking care of you? I, I go to Bikram, not as much <laughs> as I should, but um, I'll get it, I'll get super passionate about it and do like 30 days straight, you know, every single day. But it is part of like my wellness, my wellness practice. I, I love going in there and honestly it's really about it's not necessarily about the practice of Bikram but the ability the ability to completely disconnect from outside world so you know no phones no interruptions you are just kind of like there with yourself can you talk and about what really is great. that Bikram yoga yes yeah it's like 105 degrees or more because some teachers are just torturous <laughs> uh, yoga studio 26 postures um, 90 minutes straight and um, yeah it's it's brutal but it's nice to one be guided through something so there's a lot of rest in terms of emotional or, or mental space and you really can't be anywhere but present to be able to perform in that space and then I think you know sweat in terms of like taking those toxins out of your body is really fantastic mm-hmm. so it's just great mm-hmm. you know to disconnect and just go for it so I, I do Bikram. I definitely, every time I come home, I sage. Um, I think that you definitely take on energies of other people. And I've considered my, my home to be my space and like a sanctuary. So I like to cleanse that off before I even engage with anything in my home. Um, so I definitely sage and... Florida water, all the crystals, all that good stuff. You know, massages are good if you can work them into the schedule. Oh, um, I love a good massage. Just, yeah. And then just also just knowing when to not. So I'm pretty strict about when the laptop closes so I can just enjoy being at home and, and you know, doing nothing, mm-hmm. which is super important for us too. So, yeah, those, those things, you know. Mm. And 
being mindful of what things I can control and what things I can't control and how much of my time I get give to the things that are uncontrollables. Hmm. I love that because you almost have a routine. You know what to go to when you need to, you know, self-soothe or just stop and be. And I think that's important yeah. to incorporate into your daily life or weekly or however you want to kind of frame it. But to make sure as creatives, we're, we're putting so much into the world and with so much energy into our work. I think that oftentimes we forget to, you know, check in and also, you know, recover, recover from all of that, all that it takes to be creative and to make and to give. And so I'm all for self-care and I'm struggling with trying to find a good routine for myself that makes sense for me, but I'm, I'm all for it. And for me, I try to just kind of, I'm introvert, so I like being by myself and I love to just kind of think and so I'm trying to find more time to do just that, to like have time yeah. to not have other people energy and vibe kind of take me, but to just give myself time to recover and to consider new possibilities. So I love I love that you also are doing so many different things within your practice and outside of it. Yeah, I mean, and, it's, and it takes years to get to what works for you, and and then things things also shift, and you got to find something else too. Mhm. Mm mhm. Mm so let's get into your race cards game. I know that it's a series, and that's part of it. Can you talk more about just how you came up with the idea, and you know what your whole process was to get this out into the world? I mean, it started back in 2016, really. Um, race and gender had al always been something I was deeply interested in exploring in, term in terms of, like, when I was in art school or my artistic practice. Mm -hmm. um, so I got from UIC with a degree in uh, film, video, and animation. And so a lot of, a lot of my work whether it was performance based or you know video based, had to deal had to do with those topics, and so um, I always struggled with how to have that conversation internally as well as externally. So like within like myself, right? But then also within the black community, with and then also within communities of non color, right? Mm -hmm. um, so it was really was really something that I, I struggled with and um, kind of put down. Um, I don't. I don't believe that I believe things happen when they're supposed to happen. And, and um, when I graduated at UIC in 2017 or t 2007, geez, um, that wasn't the time. Time flies. <laughs> yeah, that wasn't the time. We, we weren't there yet. We weren't there yet. Mm -hmm. And um, and then it was also really difficult to try to have that conversation because I we were in a post what was perceived as a post-race racial society because Barack Obama, right? And so how how can there be an issue with race when we have a black president it was more of a sentiment at the time. Right? So it's like these compounding narratives that really made it tricky to, to unearth or um, do the work that I was really trying to do at the time. So I just kind of put it down for a while. It's like, this is not, this is not it. And then um, the Trump era began, and it was like, oh, okay, here's that here's the window now I was looking time. for. Yeah. <laughs> here's 
know, and then uh, yeah, got got to work on figuring out how to have have a conversation really, and then and um, landed on uh, gamification as the vehicle to do it. So a couple of things that you just mentioned really touched me, and I, I want to talk a little more about that. One of them is this complexity you have with uh, blackness or your identity as a black person. Um, and then the other thing is how to make something that may be controversial or uncomfortable for, uh, for some, how to make um, it accessible. So... Yeah. Talking about blackness, I grew up in the suburbs and I'm also Ghanaian American, so I had African immigrant parents and I struggled with just finding my place in the African African community and the black community and also what sounding what people would say proper and mm-hmm. in the black community and struggling with not feeling black enough. So mm-hmm. I'm interested with what you just mentioned hit me because I also struggled with that growing up. And I just want to know more about how you use that to kind of develop this game. Well, I just, I just looked at it as like these, um, these conversations happen in three spaces, you know, mm-hmm. uh, with, with the self, within one's direct community, and then out of that community. And so like in trying to figure out how to have the conversation um, about blackness. I had to have a tool or um, a way to visually present it that would resonate uh, and be accessible in all three of those spaces. Right. And in many ways, I wanted them to happen simultaneously. Because even as a player is playing trading races, before they even speak, there's something that's happening internally where you're processing. Like, okay, is Rachel Dolezal, you know, blacker than Amarosa, right? You have to grapple with that first before you can even engage with your direct community. So I, I needed, I needed all, of, I needed all, of, all of that to happen, and I, I needed it to also be tangible, right? Mm-hmm. I think cancel culture is very heavily prevalent right now, and I, I understand it, but then I also feel like I'm probably like two tweets away from being canceled. Um, <laughs> tweets from being canceled right and so what bothers me about cancel culture is that like it it doesn't allow room for actual engagement and growth i see the game as a is a a gate it's not so it's like to me it's like a gateway right like my game is not going to solve racism my game is not going to make people racially aware the is a gateway into a larger conversation that needs to be had right so Mm -hmm. When I think about like all of those elements, then it becomes like just betting people with in those three communities or those three access points, the space to do that work, whether they want to do it alone or in community or outside of their communities. But the um, potential and the space is there for, for them to make choice. Yes. And so you set it up where it's a it's like you're playing a card, a game of cards with a group of people and there are different figures on the card who are black and you have to um, say what's that some people are not are not black oh okay yeah talk more about that uh, the, the way the game is structured because I may not know exactly I have not been to a game which I wanted to come but I couldn't come when you were in Chicago talk more about um, how you structure the game so that 
people from different identities, different um, yeah. backgrounds, different comfort level with race can talk about it. Yeah, so it's really, to me, like, blackness or race is not not monolithic. So I needed to bring in all of the underlying conversations that are there. And so not all of the figures in the game are, are black. Okay. And I did, I did that because I wanted to actually uh, have an opportunity to have a conversation about appropriation as well, true appropriation. And so I couldn't do that without non-black people. So then you may have a conversation where it's like, who's blacker, Justin Timberlake or just Justin Bieber? Mm, interesting. Yeah. And so I wanted to leave room for all of those other elements that work into our constructs about race. And how do the conversations go? Do people get really heated or kind of like, you know, jovial and people are just like having a good time? It all depends. And I think that's really all on the group that you're playing with and right or if it is being facilitated um how your facilitator is creating and then maintaining safe space i think about this game as like an opportunity for people who are outside of the black community to get it wrong but then to also have the opportunity to learn Mm. and i love that yeah we don't i mean in, in society in general like once it's public you have no there's no room to get it wrong but i think we also forget that when we get something wrong that's also when we learn mm-hmm. and so we don't give people an opportunity to get it wrong <laughs> they're gonna stay where they are they're at right there's no growth for them and i mean like i get, I get things wrong every single day mm-hmm. um especially when it comes to um, not especially but like the growing language around gender and sexuality those are places in which I may get something wrong, but then I get corrected and then now I've grown, right? And so I think of the game in that way too. And so it's really all about, you know, how you're setting it up. You know, if you're playing with a group of your peers and you already have a relationship with them, then there's already implied understanding and um, you're you're already giving them a sense of like... Like there's, there's, a, playing, there's a level playing field when you're with peers yeah. who you it's- relate and understand. And you're assuming, here it is, you're assuming the best intentions. Because yes. you know, right? And so that's something that you may have to explicitly call out when you're not playing with a group that you know intimately like that. But naming it, right, and creating uh, essentially like a code of conduct or norms then levels the playing field if you're playing outside of your community. Absolutely. And I love this idea about you don't need to have the right answer you don't need to know it all you don't even need to be able to articulate what you're trying to say or how you feel it's okay to get it wrong but through the process you're learning about yourself and you're learning about race learning about these different intersections and I think that's really important that's really key because I think that's what stops people from talking about race is because they don't want to offend someone or they want to say something wrong and you could ever I've, I've realized it in the last couple of years the worst thing, a person of no color that's my new thing mm-hmm. um <laughs> a person of no color can be called that will deeply hurt them is to be called racist mm-hmm. and so so because of that it is in many ways stifled yes. the potential of really impactful and meaningful conversations yes so powerful. I think these conversations are so important. Are they happening all over or is it a series that's happening at specific times? How people play your game? How can people find you and learn more about race cards? 
Okay, so Trading Races, you can grab it. Uh, it's actually on Amazon, or you can go to tradingracesgame.com. Um, there's also um, expansion packs, so there's like uh, additional cards that you can add into um, the game to grow the conversation um, as well. There's currently three available for purchase right now. Um, the Chicago pack, which you know has notable Chicagoans, of course, and then the Uncle Tom expansion pack, which is belovedly dubbed the the game uh, the expansion pack um, dedicated to messing up your whole hand and then uh there's also the stay woke pack which has some very uh powerful uh, figures as well yeah there's uh game nights all over uh if you just go on the website and click on events you'll see what's coming up next week um hosting a game night in uh, partnership with western game lab and art and public life which is an extension of a series that i produced for them last year called uh, we got game um just to really highlight communities or uh, PLCs within the gaming space, but we're doing a night on the 26th of February called uh, We Got Game Black Card Intact, Um, and at this particular game night, we'll actually be teaching people how to play spades, Uh, because (laughs) usually what happens is that if if you're at a a function and uh, you tell somebody you don't know how to play spades, they don't teach you, they just say you don't know how to play spades louder and tell everybody <laughs> in the room that you don't know how to play spades. So we figured we actually help the community by teaching folks how to play spades so that you can oh keep my. your black card. Yes. Uh, so that's February 26th at Art and Public Life, which is right off of the 55th Green Line Station from 6 to 9 a.m. Mm. Yes, check out all of the offerings Kenyatta just talked about because I think that, you know, it's important to talk about these things and it just sounds fun. Like I want to go and just, you know, play and learn. So that's exciting. I know for a lot of creative entrepreneurs, they have ideas and they have you know, things that they want to get started, but they're not quite sure how to get started or how to get funding for it or how to, you know, make it a reality, get it outside of their minds and make it into something real. So what advice would you give to a creative who is just starting out, who has an idea for a project, but isn't know where to start? The internet, man. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) uh, What I do notice a lot from people is that they think that they need an expert or direct access to a person to tell them to do a thing. But like it's 2020 um, and there's no need to wait on anybody when all of the information is literally at your fingertips. So I would just encourage people to just do some research on their own. And that's essentially what I did in building the game. I'd never made a game before in my life, but the internet made it possible. Right. So I would just say do that. And then, you know, find like like minded individuals as well. But like I before I even approached anybody in the game space, I did my research per, first. You know what I mean? Like, don't mm-hmm. depend on people to do your do the research for you. Like, come to the table with something mm-hmm. um, would be my my advice. Great, Great advice. Yes. Do your due diligence and look it up. There's everything online. You can figure it out. And if you don't, you can't figure it out or you can't find it. Ask someone. Ask someone who's done it or ask for help. So great advice. So my last question for you is what would you say is your favorite accomplishment so far for you? 
it actually isn't even a career or like a product or you know related i would actually say i felt like i had accomplished something when i publicly uh shared that i suffer from depression mm-hmm. it was a very freeing experience for me i think that as a black woman that space is not typically open for one to share that so for me that was an accomplishment and then the response is very positive and so I think our, the black community has some work to do in terms of dealing with mental health. And so if I could be an advocate for folks to not only address, but be aware, but then also know how to support people who suffer from mental health issues, that's a really big accomplishment for me. Thank you for sharing that. And I think mental health is something, you know, like race, we don't talk enough about Okay, so how can people find you, Kenya? How can people con- get in contact with you, look you up online? Yeah, I'm on the, on the gram. I don't have a fancy name. It's just Kenyatta.Forbes. Um, and then uh, if you want to email me, it's just uh, info at tradingracesgame.com or info at macramefibers.com. I think I'm on Twitter. I don't really tweet very, very often, but I'm probably... Just Kenyatta underscore Forbes at Twitter mm-hmm. as well. Yes. Look, look my friend up because Kenyatta is really a great person and doing some amazing work. So check her out. And thank you so much for sharing your story and talking more about what you do. Really appreciate you. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Of course. Talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. See you next week. Same day, same time. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. And send me a comment if you really like this one. And remember to uplift and support another woman creative today. Always remember to embrace your creative genius.